everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we hear from all types of fascinating tango professionals. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to all you newcomers and first-timers out there. I'm really happy to have you with us. I'm really liking the feedback I've been getting from many of you, so if you ever want to reach out for any reason, don't hesitate to send me a message at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. And to help keep the podcast going, I'm also accepting donations through PayPal. There's a link in the description and also one on the podcast website. Thanks for your support. Okay, my guest today began his tango journey while he was a student at Arizona State University. Later, he would become an influential presence with the ASU Tango Club, where he now teaches regular classes and guides the next generation of young dancers. And with me now is Marco Antonio Licon. Marco, good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Joe. We're all big fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, so Marco, when you got up today, what was the first tango-related thing you did? First tango-related thing I did? Uh, honestly, I kind of thought about this interview because I know it was popped up. I woke up a little bit late today, but I know that I have some lessons to teach, and then I'm assisting uh, one of the instruct- other instructors in my practica, so I just kind of was mentally mapping out the day before awesome. then. So yeah, way, way back, how did you fall in love with tango? I've been trying to figure out, because uh, I figured, I know that you a lot of people ask the you ask a lot of people this. Yeah. I would say the way that I fell in love with tango, it kind of was something that I never really thought about until I really like jumped into the class. Like I went to actually Daniela Borgiali's class, one of your past guests. Oh yeah. Um, when I signed up at the university at the time, just thinking, well, this would be a good way for me to meet people. And I would say that actually uh, the class itself was kind of exciting at first, but it wasn't really the big moment. I was very fortunate that at the time, the ASU Tango Club, during that same semester they had started, they were able to put on a tango festival there. I think this was back in 2012. Okay. So this would have been about two, three months into my dancing of tango at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember the whole weekend being extremely wonderful. I actually really sunk into it. I don't know if the Malangs were good, but I was making friends. I felt like I was making friends. I think the highlight, though, that really like sunk into me was my first all-nighter there, mm. which they actually had on the balcony mm-hmm. of the Gamage Auditorium, which down in Arizona is one of the uh, – it's a Frank Lloyd Wright building. Okay. So really cool, like, architectural place. But we mm-hmm. did it on the balcony, so we actually got to dance and see the sunrise outdoors. Oh, at this all night at Malanga. And I think that was a particularly magical moment for me. Mm-hmm. Just having everything there, the music, people that I had just met that were already feeling like becoming fast friends, this cool new dance thing that I didn't mm-hmm. really know what was going on, but I really liked it. If for some reason it clicked for me, I think that is kind of, if I were to highlight the moment when I knew that I wanted this to keep being something that I wanted to do, it's like chasing that experience again. Mm, okay, awesome. Yes, yeah, so you took Daniela's class. What was that very first lesson like? That... I actually don't really remember too much. I think it, it, like I said, it was kind of a combination of having her class, which as an instructor, I cannot gush enough about how grateful I am for the foundation that mm. she gave me that let me go out into this wide tango world and explore and kind of forge my own way. Mm-hmm. In its own way, it wasn't always the most crucial thing, but as I thought about the years, it actually was, like mm-hmm. consciously at the time. Um, it was a combination of having a small group of friends there, but also being able to go to the tango club the same way. Mm-hmm. 
um, and actually get to practice some of the stuff. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Something about the way she taught just made it all seemed to click with something about the way I wanted to dance, mm. which to kind of backtrack a little bit. I didn't really have much of a dance background before I jumped into tango. I had taken like a dance elective a couple of years before at the beginning of my college career mm-hmm. or as I took her tango class at the end. Mm-hmm. And in between, I think something was there, there. There was always like some sort of interest in the back of my head, but I didn't really know what I wanted from it. Turns out tango was what I wanted. And mm-hmm. she taught it in a way that made it super easy for me to realize that like almost immediately, which is why I kind of kept going. And honestly, I haven't really skipped a week since. Yeah, but now you yourself are a teacher. So can you describe that journey? That is, um, I suppose if I wanted to be poetic, I could talk about it being a journey of passion and perseverance. Mm-hmm. I would honestly say, and what I usually joke with to some of my students, is I was just too stubborn to quit. Okay. I couldn't let this... Uh, this weirdly confusing dance beat me. I was like, nope, I'm going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. More practically, what happened is, you know, after a couple of years, um, I had gotten enough uh, professions as a leader that, and I was just around enough. Again, that, I, I say stubborn. I talk about first grades, all that stuff. I just really kept showing up enough that um, occasionally, even Daniela, like, would sometimes have me come in to fill in bodies for a class here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, after she left town, some of the previous hosts, of the practicas and places where I would kind of dance regularly would kind of have me fill in here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were also friends in their own ways. Like, you know, I had just kind of gotten to know them. So I would help out here and there, ask, answer some questions as one of the more experienced dancers. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, as they moved on with their lives, I wound up being in this position where, you know, I didn't want, in particular at, here in my own journey and here in Phoenix, mm-hmm. there is a practica that, we've had here for many years that was started by Daniela and her old partner, Ramel. Mm -hmm. When the last host left, uh, my friend Inya, she wanted to keep it going. So I wound up kind of taking over the scheduling initially, kind of Mm. filling in and teaching here and there, but having actually primarily some of the other instructors be the ones teaching. Mm -hmm. But as their schedules changed, things went back and forth. I kind of wound up having to really think and uh, sink into this teaching role as a kind of a full-time thing. So it's always been a very, very gradual process um, mm-hmm. just because I guess for me, I wanted to keep the lights on. I like the fact that this particular practice always had a lesson, always had dancing. Mm-hmm. I knew where it was. I'd been going there literally every week for the past, I guess when I started scheduling it, this would be five years into my dance career. This is like 2016, I want to say 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just been that at the same time, the ACU Tango Club started reaching out to me to teach a little bit more regularly at their practica, which is a little bit separate from the ASU class that's currently taught by uh, Steph Berg of Nico and Steph. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was also being there. So now that I had both of these responsibilities or things, I, I wanted to do them for sure. Yeah. You know, but I felt that I wanted to do them well. Mm-hmm. So I've really started jumping in, starting to think about what I did when I danced and how I moved mm-hmm. and how I could share that in a way that was, I don't want to say concise, but enjoyable and engaging Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of just been the journey I've been on since then I still don't always feel like a teacher but I would say this is a journey that's going on for about the last two years let's Mm -hmm. say give or take yeah yeah I like what you said about not feeling quite like a teacher even a lot of the professionals I've talked to when they started teaching they're like what I'm I'm a teacher now and it's like yes of course you are so yeah it's kind of neat how that organic journey works out Exactly. Um, I would say that a particular moment is actually when some of the people at the student club consider me their first teacher and I'm their student. I'm like, 
oh, I'm <laughs> for your dance career. Yeah. That's a, a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I mean, it's also, mm-hmm. it's exciting to be on the other side of that. Like, again, mm-hmm. um, go back to Daniela. You know, I had the pleasure of dancing with her again recently. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I mean, she's come back regularly throughout the year since she left Phoenix. But mm-hmm. this past, uh, the most recent interactions had, they've been absolutely wonderful. Like being able to enjoy her, not as my teacher where I'm really nervous. It's like, I got to do all the things right, but also mm-hmm. as a dancer. And I think that was the biggest hurdle realizing that I was on the other side of that to other people now was I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm still just me. I'm still Marco, the person who likes to dance. Yeah. But I have to realize that, you know, other people won't always see me as just Marco the dancer at this point. And then I have mm-hmm. to be responsible with that. I, I want to make sure that if people are seeing that in mm-hmm. me, that I'm being a good representative of what I view as good teachers. So yeah. like for me, Daniela is always a big influence. I really enjoy, I would say the other two people who eventually influenced me the most mm-hmm. are uh, Corina Herrera and Oscar Casas. Mm-hmm. I was able to study with them only like a private each over the last years, but they have been absolutely like crucial to anything I've been dancing for the past two years. Yeah. And, you know, I know how I view them and what they do to me. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I really want to make sure that I can provide the same thing. And I, I don't know that I am, but people tell me, but you know, I think as a teacher, you're always, I think it's good to always be constantly checking that way you, you want to feel a little bit of constant ease because that keeps you on your toes, that keeps you fresh, that keeps you engaged in what you're doing. You never just want to assume, it's like, I got all of this, I can do all of that. And then mm-hmm. suddenly nobody shows up to the practica because <laughs> you don't. Yeah. So yeah, over your the course of your own learning, uh, Marco, what's some really good or some memorable advice that you've gotten from some of your teachers that, that really stuck with you? Something that really stuck with me. Oh, let's see. I, to go back to Karina Herrera, like I said, I've only been able to really take, you know, one private with her and then like a weekend workshop when she was in town. Mm-hmm. I, I think this was you know, about three years ago. I feel like up until that point, because my initial strategy with musicality was just kind of blunt force shoving it into my head. I just listened to a bunch of songs on shuffle constantly my first couple of years. And I feel like they give me a good understanding of what to expect in the structure. Mm-hmm. But as I found out after this lesson with uh, Corina was how much I was missing. Like, I think I was really good at feeling where the beat of his music and dancing, but then kind of adding little bits and stuff, but still always being on more or less just always dancing to the beat, mm-hmm. which is not bad. I think that's certainly enjoyable. But once you feel that, and what Karina showed me was how to play outside that with the little instruments or how to kind of step away from that for a tiny bit, mm-hmm. explore kind of the space of the violin maybe like a little piano solo instead yeah. of just kind of always coming back straight to the beat. And the thing is also that lesson with her mm-hmm. really paying attention to and focusing into how layered this music is. Um, Cause she did it within literally one minute of uh, our whole private and made me feel this. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you're listening to the song. Yes. But you're not listening to, and I guess to kind of go to where I was trying to uh, bring this around to is how to feel what that might express, mm-hmm. how you might express that. Right. So instead of just being, okay, I'm walking on the beat, I'm walking on the beat, I'm hearing this piano, I'm hearing this violin. Mm -hmm. What does it tell me? What stories are they trying to tell me? What picture is coming into my head? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to describe it. Like, there's one thing to listen to the music superficially, but then also, and then, you know, to apply moves to that. It's this concept of letting the music be a vehicle to tell the story of you. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't get all of Karina's whole story, but it was enough that I saw a little glimpse of, like I saw a page of the book of Karina just in a handful of steps when she was trying to illustrate this concept mm-hmm. and how the music showed me that, mm. right? So it's a way of not just connecting to the other person to 
execute a dance, to execute this kind of series of small choreographies around the dance floor to the mm -hmm. beat of the song, mm -hmm. but how to really be like fully, fully expressive, mm. share who I am. Tango is very much all about that, right? We talk about yeah. the embrace, we talk about the connection. For me, and I guess this is something I maybe was already trying to do, but like really having a word and a clear picture of what it could be and what I could express, mm -hmm. how I could share who I am as Marco, the dancer, Marco, I guess now the teacher, mm -hmm. Marco, the guy who owns a kayak or something like that. <laughs> yeah. How can I tell this little story with only this connection and only using the music to do so? It's this idea, and again, it wasn't really verbal. Mm -hmm. It only happened in a little moment, but it was like the first glimpse I'd had of it from an instructor. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, it was the first time it stuck of learning how to use the sense to share you with the other person. And then mm -hmm. later on with that, you know, realizing that I can also hear their story in this dance mm -hmm. and trying to find out what this person's about and that it's, it's a bit of like a poetic way of thinking about it, but it's something that I've really been in all sorts of different ways and all aspects of my dance trying to hone in on since yeah. that lesson. Okay. Yeah. So Mark, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your personal dancing style. Uh, this might be kind of related to the last answer you gave, but while you're, you're dancing, while you're leading, are you consciously thinking of the next figure to lead or the next choreography or are you just really moving intuitively with the music i think since that lesson and probably for a good chunk of my dance career i haven't really thought about it consciously as being mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. i think that to an extent as a leader we do want to keep track of kind of like a database of these motions how they break down mm -hmm. i would say if i do think about it i think no more than like a second or one step ahead i'm like oh i've gotten to this weight now what seems cool with the music? Should I pivot? Should I step back? Should I reverse it? Mm. Throw a baleo, do something else kind of weird. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's very all stuck in my short-term memory and it leaves immediately afterwards. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever run into this, but there's always that thing where it's like, you're dancing with somebody and something happens. It's like, hey, what'd you just do? Or, oh my God, what did you just do? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, for me, it's been kind of a mix. I try not to really focus, okay, when it gets to this phrase, I'm going to do this little sequence because I know the timing. I've never been one of those people mm -hmm. um, that can structure out the dance like that. I don't know how many people actually are. I just know mm -hmm. that the, I kind of really, I guess I go by the feel. I kind of see what seems like a cool thing. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, you know, after all those years of constant dancing, you build up a, beta, a database in your head, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, of these things that can apply a feeling to how you want to express this part of the music. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe doing a drawn out pivot over a parada or something while, you know, like the Sarley's uh, yeah. violin is, you know, weeping, <laughs> right? You're like, okay, mm -hmm. right? Or when a variation starts up really, really quick, you know, mm -hmm. just doing all the little pitter-patter steps just to try and put a lot more energy because you were being slow the rest of the time during a Pugliese song. It's like, okay, I got to make this different. Yeah. And we all kind of fall into those smaller patterns, I think. What I also try to do in addition to kind of keeping track of those as they, I see them fit to the music Mm -hmm. is trying to change it up a little bit, like break my pattern and then just kind of see what happens. Not necessarily trying to throw my partner off balance or myself mm -hmm. off balance, but I always do A to B to C. What if I skipped over to D for a second? Or what if I started mm -hmm. with Z instead and then mm -hmm. went all the way back to D, I guess, mm -hmm. using the alphabet as an analogy. It, it seems to be more of like an interaction of the two. Like you need to have some sense of vocabulary. You need to have at least a little stable of your go-to moves that you can kind of stretch and play with. Mm -hmm. But I don't really try to plan out too far ahead because even though I listen to these songs tons of times over the years, the thing that I excite excites me about tango is when my first couple of years, I haven't really used this analogy lately as a teacher or really at all in like just chatting with other tango people, mm -hmm. is it always felt and why I like tango was 
rather than going to, I guess, like a ballroom class, which is not necessarily bad. Like I just, they felt so much more structured. Yeah. Being able to dance in tango felt like I was chasing that romantic or that really intense movie dance moment where they kind of meet in the club or something or mm-hmm. they meet somewhere and then they do this awesome dance together. Yeah. As the audience, I've always felt like we're supposed to believe that's been spontaneous, even though I look at the actors knowing that they choreographed right. it. Mm-hmm. What excited me about tango initially um, was seeing all these people and experiencing what I felt was like what that movement, what that movie moment would be in mm-hmm. real life, just constantly on the dance floor, or maybe not constantly, but when, you know, when it clicked, it clicked. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like my way, using a bit of a piece of vocabulary that I already know, and then trying to have this emotional story, this kind of emotional sharing that I want to have, combining those two mm-hmm. is kind of how I try to structure my dances. Nice. Or nice. build my dances. Create, when I create my dances, I think would be a better one. Structure. Okay. Was, yeah. 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 Yeah, I just love the freedom in tango. Yeah, like, you know, when I first started dancing, it's like, oh, I, I'm not stuck in a pattern. I can do whatever almost. Exactly. Funny story is I, I mm-hmm. usually joke that that's actually why I couldn't get the hang of any other dance. It's like I just <laughs> wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. And then Tango let me do that mm-hmm. in more or less so many ways, you know. Yeah. You still got to try and I feel like honor the aesthetic or the spirit of it. But right. it, there's a lot of personal freedom to interpret how you want to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I don't know if you find this sometimes with your, with your less experienced students. It's like sometimes we'll teach them a sequence and then they might not follow the sequence perfectly, but they'll stumble upon a step that they think is wrong, but in some context in the future will be correct. Oh, for sure. It's uh, yeah. Cause I think the thing I, I don't, I'm someone who just kind of stumbled into tango as like a separate part of my life. I don't really have a lot of background and other dance instruction understanding it. My mm-hmm. impression of going out to other classes over the years is, and I guess that's not a bad thing if you want to get people hooked in is give people something they can remember, give them like a little structure, a little like teach them mm-hmm. how to build like a small wooden house. Yeah. Right. But with tango and I guess any other dance, eventually you want to teach them how to create their own Frank Lloyd Wright buildings or something like that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Tango, I felt like it was a lot more open ended. It's like, hey, we're just going to build a bird house here. No, mm-hmm. Tango's like, here's some tools. This is kind of how you use a saw. Um, <laughs> do what you want. Yeah. Right. Go, go play in the. Well, maybe I've been using a wood shop, but like maybe it's like go play in the sculpture room for a little bit and see what comes out. Yeah. And then after time, like it's my my experience with tango instruction, and I guess Danielle's. I, I think I was fortunate that I took Danielle's class because even though she she had time to spread out all the stuff over a semester, I was basically locked in there mm-hmm. to do so. Mm-hmm. So even though I don't think she taught too much, other than as a point of uh, introducing the concept, so I never really felt like I had a lot of those choreographies that I would see in some other classes when I had the opportunity to travel later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I'm seeing it now with like my own students and trying mm-hmm. to teach them uh, the structure mm-hmm. or teach them that the structure is only a teaching tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're always just trying to uh, save that for later. Let's kind of refocus on this, but yeah, this is not necessarily wrong. I think against other dance instructions that I think most people have experience with, they're like, mm-hmm. it's either it is or it isn't. I'm like, yeah, no, this is just something that kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while you were taking the class as a, as a student, like as an undergrad, you know, as a, as a class that you get graded in, like, was there some sort of a final exam at the end of the class? Yes, I believe. Oh, I don't remember Danielle doing a class. I think there was a mm-hmm. final project that we had to do and you could either do a performance or like a, you know, a little song demo Okay. or you could write a paper. I see. Uh, I think I chose to do the paper because even though I've been dancing for a long time and I love dancing, mm-hmm. I was still shy. And I guess to an extent, I still kind of am as far as like, you know, getting up in front of a crowd and dancing yeah. for people. So I did the paper. I actually did the a paper, I believe, on its effects on Parkinson's. 
okay. It's been a couple of years and a way too many uh, late nights of dancing to remember what exactly I said in it. But it was just kind mm-hmm. of understanding how I, re- I remember being fascinated about the fact that this actually the motor skills and mm-hmm. like kind of the mental engagement can help prevent uh, or reduce the effects of I think it was Parkinson's or maybe it was Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was both. Dancing has a lot of effects that I found out, so I'm glad I, I jumped into it early. Yeah, I teach a class for people with Parkinson's out here. It's yeah, for some people who've been sticking with it for a while, it's it's really nice what it's what it's done for them. Yeah. No, it's really, really nice. Um mm. there was a time here where we tried to do a tango class for the disabled. Mm. Uh, my schedule eventually didn't let me continue with that and it just I don't think we ever got enough momentum for it off the ground. But it's definitely something that if my schedule allows in the future would be exciting to try again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the ASU Tango Club. So I, I've been to the ASU campus a couple of years ago. I remember uh, just walking around. I didn't get a chance to dance with the, the folks at the Tango Club, but I keep hearing a lot of really great things about it. On a campus like ASU, there are just so many things going on. How do you keep people interested in tango and recruiting young people and that kind of thing? So let's see. When I was at, uh, when I consider myself more of just a member of the ASU Club versus someone who's now a resource for them as an instructor, mm-hmm. I remember we used to do... As far as like catching people's eyes, they used to do like gorilla dances. You know, you just go dance down some of the main walks or mm. they would also have these big club nights or, you know, it's kind of like a mini convention night where all the clubs put up their little tables and try to sell you what they're doing. Uh-huh. The cool thing about Tango, since we're a dance club, is we would clear out some space in front of the table or, you know, right next to it or just kind of around where people were walking. And we would mm-hmm. dance and we would put out flyers mm-hmm. that be people could see what we were doing. Then they'd see the flyers, they'd grab on, you know, they show up next week, next month, something or other. And then as far as keeping people, once you get them in there, there's always, you know, the lessons, there's the dancing. There's also the social activities, you know, just like little college kid house parties, going to do, you know, bowling or laser tag. or just kind of other social activities. Because, yeah. I mean, especially for a, a dance club on campus for me is very much, and I guess kind of as a mirror of tango itself, Mm-hmm. It's a social activity. Like, yes, we're all here to practice this art form that we love and enjoy, mm-hmm. but it's extremely social. It makes people want to go because this is where their friends are. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of the people I still hang out with in mm-hmm. Tango, they are my close friends, even though maybe I see them once or twice a year or every other year. They're people that I've chatted with. And mm-hmm. actually, some of those are even former ASU club members where we've all moved on to our respective sides of the country. Yeah. But I can still catch up with them and hang out like, you know, and mm-hmm. a Malanga in between Tandas or something. Yeah. So you also DJ, don't you? A little bit. Mostly it's just kind of keeping some music selection up for the club because a lot of them are kind of getting into it. Okay. Uh, I don't get to DJ as much as I would like, and that's actually one of my goals this mm. year is to try to get a little bit more invested in I mean, like I said, I do it for the practica. Mm-hmm. I do it for Tango Club on occasion. As far as being someone who DJs here in the Valley, I wouldn't consider myself as such. Mm-hmm. But I am trying to get to that point because, again, I've been moving not just to being a teacher, but someone in the community who tries to organize, who tries to do things. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's something that even if I just wind up dabbling in, I want to have that connection in case somebody ever approaches me down the road about wanting to DJ. Like I may not be able to give them all the answers, but I can give them some starting space, mm-hmm. something to work with. And that's actually something that I picked up with a little bit in the club. Cause like the older um, club format would have a lot of people um, rotating and being DJs, and we haven't had that lately. But, you know, if a student starts to show interest, I would love to get them into Mm -hmm. trying to do more DJing stuff and pass it along so that we can have all sorts of different musical minds trying to figure out how to create these dances Mm -hmm. or organize these dances as best as they can. Yeah. So I got another personal taste question for you, Marco. What what are some well-known tango songs or, or bands that you happen to not like as much? 
Not like. Uh, that's a bit of a tough question for me, I guess, as mm-hmm. far as completely disliking. I feel that I wind up getting in char- charged by the energy so much that I don't really mm. bother too much with it. Okay. I would say that I ha- struggle a little bit with Poema lately because it's been a little bit more overplayed. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's <laughs> something to be expected of it. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes Lumudo can be a little bit difficult to really sink into for me. Mm. Sometimes it's just a little bit too subdued, or maybe mm-hmm. it's the few songs that I've managed to catch an idea as him. Mm-hmm. But no, by and large, I, I think the nice thing about Tango is even with some of these songs that I don't like, since I feel there's a very strong emotional component to this dance, mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm in the right mood, even in, you know if I've heard Poemo a thousand times before, mm-hmm. there's still, if it's in the right time, right after the right sequence of time, with the right people, I'm like, oh, this is just a, absolutely exciting again. Mm-hmm. right? But then the next night, I'm like, oh, God, why am I doing this? <laughs> this song again. Exactly. Yeah. Just kind of a funny question. I mean, it's always easy to ask people what they do like, and then it's always fun to hear about the answers about what people don't like as much. I could always list like five or six like alternative songs, but that's like everybody. We all have our preferences. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like I only like this alternative song, and then this DJ doesn't play it. It's like, oh god, why? <laughs> so, in your opinion, Marco, uh, what are some good ways for advanced students to help the beginners? Well, kind of going back to like my experiences with the Tango Club, it, be there as a social presence for uh, the younger dancers. I mean, mm. you don't necessarily have to make immediate friends, but be around, be friendly. I definitely encourage like people to try to dance with them. I know that a lot of times, and especially like even me myself, I've went through this phase, and I think you fall in and out of it throughout the years where you don't really want to dance with beginners all the time. Mm-hmm because you feel like it's not going to improve your dance. I encourage people to like try to change their mindset. It's like, enjoy this person. You're not really mm-hmm. dancing with their dance skills. You're dancing with this person this, who has this rich history, this story that they want to tell. Maybe they don't have the dance vocabulary to tell you that story in the dance. But mm-hmm. if you get to know them as a person, you can learn to really enjoy the dance with them. Because it's not that, like I said, you're not dancing with their dance skills. You're just enjoying this little experience you get with them besides all the other conversations and other interactions you're having. This is just another way to enjoy getting to be with mm-hmm. that person and letting that person be enjoyed with you. And I think if you can do that with the beginner mm-hmm. and you can model that for them, that kind of gives them, it helps them in a way subtly alter their mindset about mm-hmm. a beginner who may want to be only wanting to dance with the good dancers. I've actually, I have had that happen with somebody in the past. I remember my first meet, time meeting them at the club uh, when I had started teaching, they told me, it's like, I want to get good so I can dance with the good dancers, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years down the line. I, I never specifically told her not to do that, but just kind of subtly like modeling and encouraging and also asking other club members to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, they change their mindset and they can just enjoy the club for being a social activity. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that social aspect and trying to really enforce that because if people want to dance, they will seek out how to get better at this dance. Mm-hmm. I think mostly it's the social aspect that keeps us coming back. I mean, there are always those of us who want to keep, you know, being a bit of a, uh, a bit, you know, perfectionist. We're always striving towards that goal, mm-hmm. but that's largely a lot, very self-motivating. I, in my experience, it's not really, mm-hmm. I don't dance good to necessarily impress others. Like, you know, seven years down the road, I, I dance good because I like the feeling of yeah. it for myself and I want to share it with people. Mm-hmm. So in your time teaching, Mark, what are some things you've learned from your own students? Oh, what have I learned from my students? It's just so much. Like they mm-hmm. are teaching me just as much as if not more than I am teaching them because I've had opportunities to teach in other areas of my life here and there throughout the years, either at you know my day job or mm-hmm. 
you know, again, when I was just kind of being the consistent volunteer or person who was around to help the teacher when they were demoing before, mm-hmm. but really being the one to take charge in a class and then have to say that this is the way we're doing things mm-hmm. and then having a teacher tell or a student tell me, but what about this? I'm like, oh, that's a good way to describe it. Or I actually recently, um, I had somebody completely, or I had a series of classes because we were focusing on pivots and notions and stuff, completely change the order in which I introduced the concepts to understand it. Mm. And it's something that I've been trying for years. And then this little one, little change about how I introduce, you know, kind of how we break down the notion of a pivot in a lead follow context. Mm-hmm. It's produced so much. I've had, I've seen much more aha moments on my students' faces mm-hmm. in this one little thing, uh, right? So they teach me how to teach them better because I think there's the, that little phrase that there's no bad students, only a bad teacher. Yeah. Something yeah. I keep hearing, mm-hmm. right? They only do what you tell them to. Mm-hmm. So I got to figure out how to tell them what I'm trying to get them to do better or how to actually do that. Yeah. You know, but for each person, we all have different ways of understanding, different metaphors that click for our bodies versus others, mm-hmm. and just kind of building up that repertoire mm-hmm. by interacting with the students, by trying to see what makes sense in their heads, and then saying, okay, maybe they're just like, you know, that guy Steve from a couple of years ago. He mm-hmm. knows how to work like this. Sweet. I can pull out, you know, my Steve manual and say, all right, Steve, this is how you do the Ocho, yeah. even though I'm talking to him now or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's the nice thing about actually being teaching, mm-hmm. is learning how to do that more effectively and being able to have, like I said, that kind of repository of manuals for different ways that people learn mm-hmm. and then being able to pull that out and help them. Cause like the sooner you help them, the confident they'll feel mm-hmm. the more that can kind of link back into like feeling comfortable with the dance, being comfortable makes them easier. makes it easier for them to make friends at the dance too, or at right. like it longer wherever else it all kind of ties together beautifully. When you see all the pieces fall in place, it's just yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, so even though you're teaching, Marco, I'm sure you're still very much on the path of learning as well. So uh, even though you've had quite a bit of experience, what's something that you've, what's something new that you've learned recently? Something new that I've learned recently. Like a few months ago or, yeah. I I mentioned earlier that the two people who have had the most conscious influence that I can say Mm -hmm. uh, were Oscar Casas and Karina Herrera. Mm -hmm. With Oscar's lesson, he, I don't want to say he completely reworked my embrace, but his way of understanding how the way I embrace interacts and kind of trusting my partner to move where I'm asking them Mm -hmm. was something that I kind of discovered. This metaphor he used about how we walk and kind of the trusting us to fall where we will, Mm -hmm. I guess that's maybe that's not the right way to describe it. But again, trusting my partner to take a step, knowing exactly where that'll be, and then really it's it's like another peeling back another layer of something i already knew like all these little tango onions right like mm-hmm. like okay this is how you follow this is how you follow at level two this is how this works at level three mm-hmm. right i just got this way of being clear but without being forceful or like having to squish my partner which i don't think i was doing too much but mm-hmm. it's again i was able to let go one more layer of tension in my embrace mm-hmm. and understand that i can be relaxed and i can trust my partner whether they're a beginner or you know a teacher that still makes me nervous to move when I lead, right? And yeah. then also applying that to my following. Like, it, it, I think I don't get to follow as much as I would like to, but when I took Oscar's lesson around about, as I've interpreted, again, it's just trusting your partner to go where they will land and not really having to force them around the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Is it gave me more confidence as a follower as well, my follower to kind of trust that I can land where I need to land to keep my own integrity. Yeah. And I think that helped me out as a follower too. Mm-hmm. Mostly I think it's because again, 
I mostly lead. Mm-hmm. It's helped me a lot there, but it's just, it was an aha moment to something I've already been working on for the last seven years or so. Mm-hmm. Okay, Marcos. So uh, what are some future projects that you're working on? So for the first time in seven years, I'm actually going to be entering my first competition. I'm going to be competing at the Southern California Tango Championship nice. uh, with a friend of mine from Tucson. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be exciting. I like it. I, I, I don't know that I've never necessarily a competitive person myself, mm-hmm. but I figure that this is a good way to kind of focus a lot of these ideas I've had jumbling around my head, which is nice because when me and my friend get together to practice, mm-hmm. we're able to kind of hone in. We have a goal to work towards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether I win or not or anything ha- comes from that, yeah. I'm excited to be doing that. I also like LA as a city. It's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest thing as far as around there. Mm-hmm. Back here in Phoenix, honestly, it's more of a continuation of just the things that I've already been doing here is trying to make sure that the practica that I run always has teachers. We have lessons I can teach there. Mm-hmm. Continuing to be a resource for the Tango Club. I love teaching at the club because, I mean, it's where I started. I want to give that yeah. joy to some other student down the line, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a handful of Daniela students who are still running around mm-hmm. uh, dancing in the larger community, and they are very prized dancers. Because mm-hmm. I hear that, um, Daniela tells me about that, and, you know, I see them, and I see them on the floor. I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome, right? We all came from the same place. This is kind of this little, like, starting point we all began at that we can kind of share with each other mm-hmm. and i want to continue that for the students so i think it's a great thing like i said i want to try and get a little bit more into djing at least on a more regular schedule and trying to really understand i've been feeling pretty good about some of the stuff i'm doing lately but it's you know again it needs practice i think the other thing that i want to do is eventually expand to other areas of phoenix because phoenix is a big city right and you know it's just trying to maybe see if there's a pocket of hidden dancers or hidden interest somewhere Mm -hmm. Um, like i'll be moving a little bit farther south than i currently am Mm -hmm. and maybe it'll be stuff uh that i can do in that area but fortunately you know there's a ton of highways here so i can still get back up to my current practica but yeah it'd be nice to get outside of like our geographical bubble here in the city and then do that and there's other instructors doing lots of stuff like nico Mm -hmm. and steph are working out in phoenix yeah um like phoenix proper i my practice in scottsdale Mm -hmm. this one might go down to south chandler and i think that creating more opportunities for people to kind of stumble upon the dance would be ideal, right? You want to get some bodies on the floor, the ones that want to stay, mm-hmm. they will stay and do that. But you just want to have those opportunities for them to kind of run across it. And then, like mm-hmm. I said, every once in a while, once them kind of stays and never leaves. Nice. All right, Marco. It's been a lot of fun. So where do we find out more about you online? So online, I am mostly, as far as Tango is concerned, available on Facebook. My name is Marco Antonio Licon. Okay. I am considering possibly getting a uh, website soon if just so that things that I do can be a little more centralized but mostly Facebook is where I do most of my advertising okay if I can I would like to plug Arizona's local calendar tangoarizona.com in case I mean Phoenix is a big hub right for people flying in so in case anybody Mm -hmm. is flying through Phoenix and wants to dance that's our monthly calendar okay it has all of our events Mm -hmm. all right Um, but for me mostly at Facebook okay all right I'll have your Facebook and also the URL on the, in our show notes so people will be able to find you. Awesome. Okay. All right, Marco, thank you again for your time and for sharing. It's been a lot of fun. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Joe. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and I hope to meet you in person someday soon. Ditto. Okay, that was fun. I liked how Marco mentioned that he stuck with Tango simply because he was too stubborn to quit. 
The interesting thing about Tango is that it will simultaneously catch your interest and challenge you. And the way to answer the challenge is not to find some sort of trick or shortcut or to wish for more talent, but to just persevere and keep showing up. And that's what Marco did. He just kept showing up to classes, practicas, and milongas. I also like Marco's thoughts on musicality, that moving to the music is an opportunity to express other aspects of your personality or mood. And there's more to that topic than just trying to keep up with the beat. I also like what Marco mentioned about maintaining the ASU tango community, that the social component of tango extends beyond the dance floor. Organizing other social activities in addition to milongas is a great way to bond with fellow dancers. And anybody can do this. You don't have to necessarily be a teacher in order to step up. So thank you again, Marco, for sharing your thoughts and for your time. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, as well as some other platforms. And if you have yet to leave a rating and review, please go ahead and do so. It only takes a second and helps a lot. This podcast will always be free, but to help keep it going, I'm accepting donations, which can be made securely through PayPal. You can find the donation link in the description and also on the podcast page of my website. Okay, that wraps up another episode of Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.